the combination of multiple generations, multiple backgrounds, multiple ethnicities and racial backgrounds, and then multiple experiences on top of that each of us are, you know, not just born out of one discipline really blends well to where we're headed in aging and where we need to head in aging. And I think we have to be that way. We have to have to. At Home with Growing Older is a nonprofit organization which believes in peer learning and creating discussions which bring the lens of aging to a variety of topics. At Home with Growing Older is proud to be your host of At Home on Air, a bi-weekly radio hour offering connection, community, and knowledge to our participants remotely. Now, we invite you to listen and learn from this live recorded episode of At Home on Air. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of At Home on Air, conversations that matter for the experiences of later life. I am Susie Stadler, an architect and executive director of At Home with Growing Older. I'm very pleased to welcome Jennifer Wong, the executive director of a new kind of space for older adults, the Wallace Annenberg Chen Space. Welcome, Jennifer. So great to have you. Before we start our conversation, we encourage you to subscribe to the At Home with Growing Older podcast, which we launched at the beginning of September. I would like to encourage others to follow the example of our loyal season sponsors, Rhoda Goldman Plaza and the Walnut Foundation. 80% of our work is done by volunteers, and we would love to grow our staff capacity. Jennifer, the Wallace Annenberg Chen Space is unusual and different for a number of reasons. For one, it's physically location and the kind of building it is, but also the way it started and what inspired its programs. Its ambitions are to be a new kind of senior center. Can you talk a little bit about this and lead us into this conversation? Absolutely. Wallace Annenberg is our incredible leader and has had this vision that older adults could use some, some care and support and some enrichment and all types of things. She was seeing older adults alone and navigating the world by themselves and really was thinking, you know, sometimes that's by choice and that's amazing and we love independence, but oftentimes it's due to necessity. And so how could we really be serving and join our older adults? and community. She set out to think about what we could do here in Los Angeles of how we could support older adults. And she enlisted our amazing executive director, Cindy Kennard, on what is now the Gen Space Start. And Cindy Kennard talked to Laura Karshensen of the Center for Longevity at Stanford and really thought, what could we do? Where do we start? How do we how do we go about this? And a wonderful postdoc, Marty DeLima, Dr. Marty DeLima came and joined the Annenberg Foundation and was embedded into the foundation and did some great thinking about what is a modern senior center, what is needed here, took a tour of many senior centers in and around Los Angeles, brought Wallace and Cindy to them. And we knew that 
often they had transportation problems, like they weren't near public transportation or there was major transportation up into a point, but no micro transportation to the senior center. And so that really went to thinking about what shall we do? And lo and behold, very timely, there was this wonderful piece in the LA Times on a brand new REM Cool House designed building going in the Wilshire Boulevard Temple on their campus. It was going to be a community event space and it was really going to lean into the community. And so Wallace had the great idea of putting her senior center in that building and really having it be innovative and beautiful and not a leftover space that many senior centers seem to be. For those who may not know, the Wilshire Boulevard Temple is located in LA's Koreatown, and it's a very diverse neighborhood, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the nation. And we had a lot to learn about Koreatown. And so Dr. Marty DeLima did a number of focus groups with different ethnic and racial groups around Koreatown to understand what older adults wanted and needed in a senior center. From there, our programming and programming priorities were created. There would definitely need to be a dedicated space to fitness and health a space where people could gather and that was conceptualized as a coffee bar. And now with Wallace's great influence, it is going to be a horticultural therapy space. There is also a dedicated space for art and creativity and culture, somewhere where we could get messy and really be creative. Lastly, there would be a space for technology, somewhere where older adults could learn and grow their skills. So those program ideas were really born out of these focus groups and then were realized with the great help of Susie of how we create these wonderful age-friendly spaces in a building that wasn't really intended for a senior center. I have to say I'm a little bit of an insider on this because I was hired as an age-friendly design consultant and I think what's unusual for this space is that you listen to the community in creating the program. And second, it's an unusual space, which is sort of awe-inspiring in itself. I consider this a really important component for many reasons. Then thirdly, the physical space is a hub for the center to sort of do much more than provide programs I would love for you to talk a little bit more about this ambition, but also if this could become maybe a playbook for other senior centers where it's not just about providing in their space, but also becoming sort of a lobbyist advocate, you know, go way beyond a senior center without walls inspired now by COVID, which used to be something really unusual. We've had a lot of really good brainstorming and talks about really what should this senior center be and how does it contribute to what the needs are of older adults in our communities. Senior centers generally have programming, resources, and all of the things that are familiar, comfortable, and wonderful to enrich and support the lives of older adults, caregivers, and families. But we know that sometimes that's not enough, and sometimes we need to do more, and oftentimes we need to do more, and our capacity is, you know, Maybe limiting, but one of the things that Wallace Annenberg encouraged the center to do is to think about how we are 
going to contribute to changing the conversation on aging. We know that the conversation around aging, not this conversation, obviously, and not many of the conversations that all of you are probably having in your own lives, but we know that the national conversation and how we view older adults, especially highlighted by the pandemic, needs to change. And so the idea is that we'll have our daily activities happening at the senior center, and then we'll also have some other activities where we call upon industry leaders that may or may not be in touch with what's going on in our aging world, right? Maybe they're from tech or entertainment or the auto industry or housing, you know, many other areas. So we will have a leadership initiative that really tries to bring these industry leaders together and put people at a table that aren't normally at a table or include the conversations about aging that they may not have had, maybe out side of their kitchen table or maybe not even at their kitchen table yet. We're hoping that our activities from the senior center and our activities in the community really influence the leadership initiative and then vice versa. And it's this continuum. And so while we are a small nonprofit, we have the great relationship and great support of the Annenberg Foundation where we can kind of lean upon the legacy of communication and the landing point that is the senior center and bringing it to the rest of these conversations. Thanks, Jennifer. I have two follow-up questions. One is you call the space Gen Space, and there has been many, many efforts not to call senior centers senior centers. Just curious to hear your take on this and if you would be proud to be called a senior center or if yeah. you would rather not. I mean, that's a conversation that we have daily and, and I'm sure many of you have, and I'd love to know what your take is in the chat here. So we do say that GenSpace is a dedicated space to older adults, but I do use the word senior center and that's partially because that's what we're all really familiar with. And when you say the word senior center, people kind of know what to expect and are, are excited about a senior center kind of being in this fresh and modern building. There's a great article out there currently that has some great photos of the inside of the building, which is really the most spectacular part for me. So you can see this beautiful building that we're talking about. But in terms of the word senior center and senior in general, I think that's really something older adults have to tell us what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. One of the things that I've been thinking about is aging on a continuum. And so if we start using these categorical descriptions of senior, then that brings the conversation of what makes me a senior? When do I qualify to be a senior? Am I allowed here? You know, or, oh, those senior centers that my mom went to, like, I'm not interested. That's got nothing for me. Right. I'm not quite sure, but I do know shorthand. I often say we've got a senior center and we do because what we do is really familiar, although has a fresh take and is hopefully pushing the innovative button in terms of hosting programming and, and having partners who are evidence-based and doing something with a fresh take that will be more welcomed to our older adults or maybe something new that they haven't thought that they might be interested in and give some opportunities for some dynamic programming. But in terms of the word senior center, it's hard to say if it's a yay or a nay. That's the beautiful part about these conversations and about the, the leadership initiative. And by talking to older adults and thinking about what they want to be called or how they want to describe their space, that's really important to me. I recently had a conversation with a city council woman and I said something about older adults and she was in my head, a younger 
older adult. And she was like, well, I'm proud to be a senior citizen. And I was like, wow, I haven't heard senior citizen, that label in a long time. But here she was a younger, older adult, probably in, if I could guess her, you know, early sixties and she was proud. And that was a label that worked for her. So I'm excited to see what the rest of you think about the word senior center and how maybe it could be used or reclaimed or if it needs reclaiming or anything like that. And I've got open ears and excited about the conversation. Yes, words are important in this conversations and it changes over years. And so maybe we're sort of rebounding to consider the badge of senior as an honors badge. So we also talked about how the Chen space has a powerful backer, the Annenberg Foundation. Not all senior centers or centers for older adults have that, but we talked about that a lot can be done with little. And I would love to hear some of the things you have already started or done in your previous work, which is an example for that, encouraging what can be done on a small scale for all senior centers. So before I started at the foundation, I worked throughout graduate school and and after graduate school, some of which brought me to like rural Montana and Idaho and inner cities and Seattle King County and other places. And then I worked for the master plan for aging here in the state of California. And so We're always thinking about doing a lot with a little, especially in Montana and Idaho, just thinking about rural health and rural health clinics and really thinking about how older adults and people with disabilities receive care and want to receive care and receive social support or want to be offered social support. You know, we really thought about a lot. One of my favorite social programs ever is a local food bank used to drop off groceries and meals to folks who are homebound. And somewhere along the line, it just became good nature and goodwill that the people who dropped off those groceries had a list of books or types of books that homebound older adults and folks with disabilities like to read. And so they worked with the library to make sure that there was a book, whether it was an audio book or a large print book or just a regular print book in those bags, getting dropped off to meal recipients weekly. And I thought that's so simple and so great. And it encourages, you know, one to have a conversation with the person that's dropping off your food. How incredible. Let's have a chat Two, It's not just hey, what books do I want? But hey, here's what I thought about this. Or hey, your kid or you might like to read this book. Great. But also bringing enrichment and entertainment or learning and engagement into the home of homebound folks. And such a great hack at how do we think about services and how do we marry certain services together or how do we create opportunities and resources or even entertain in other ways and how do we think outside of the box? So for me, that was really great. I also had an opportunity in Seattle King County with conversations that needed to be had on a public health level, but then how do we have conversations with leaders about opioids and older adults? And there were many, many folks that were having these conversations kind of in silos. There were pharmacists having these conversations. There were social workers having these conversations and really taking just an afternoon of folks' time and a free community space to say, let's bring people together and let's hear the conversation about, you know, older adults and opioids 
opioids. And let's talk about older adults and opioids in senior housing. And let's talk about it in homelessness. And let's talk about it in treatment. And let's talk about it in our ERs. And let's hear from one another, because oftentimes we don't get that opportunity. Really thinking about what that looks like and how being incredibly supported by Wallace Annenberg and by the Annenberg Foundation is amazing. But we know that there is great work that needs to happen in the community and how oftentimes that community work really needs to happen on a local level. So what does that mean? And who's already doing the work? Who's already going door to door? Who's already giving out the food? Who's already giving out the library books? And really, how are we of service to those folks who are on the ground and already doing the work and having conversations around the kitchen table? And then also, how do we welcome folks into our space and really have open ears about what's missing or what's needed or what people are looking forward to or what they hope to see? And how can we link up with these other community members to make sure that that happens? Yes, I just had this sort of weird image popping into my mind of a bus you know, in rural communities, the senior bus going around, sort of a mobile senior center. I love that idea. I know that in some rural communities on the access bus, like on buses that would help folks with mobility impairments get to appointments or get public transportation. Sometimes artists or musicians would hop on board and play the ukulele for folks and take a route and then get dropped off. I definitely think there's something about mobile clinics mobile transportation, mobile conversations, and really looking forward to what that is. I really think it's a wonderful or very fortunate thing that you can bring the rural experience to the urban experience and vice versa. And I would love for the chance space to actually start a rural program. I think that's a really innovative unity. You know, many of us in the aging space have some personal experience that propelled them into working in this arena. Do you have something like a personal experience which made you passionate to work in this arena? So I am a child of two older parents who were, you know, in their late thirties and early forties when they started having children, their friends and colleagues were all in their forties and fifties while we were young. And so that just kind of changed the dynamic of who we were surrounded by and who were our pseudo aunts and uncles as both of my parents had really small families. My mom is a nurse and has been a professor my whole life. And so her interest in health and nursing and older adulthood and serving on our church's health ministry committee and being a campaign supporter of our local YMCA and really involved in the elders program and other things changed what community looks like and feels like to me, just a kid who was growing up in Los Angeles. But then as I studied and I you know, had dreams of becoming a psychologist. I studied health and wellness and had a wonderful time doing so in San Francisco and Sacramento, and then eventually Montana. I was really always drawn to not only how we are healthy and well, you know, as healthy individuals, but how people with impairments or with a variety of different conditions are also healthy and well and what that looks like. I began studying disability, both physical and cognitive disability, cognitive in terms of dementias, and then physical disability, both 
aging with a disability and then perhaps aging into a disability. And when you study disability in rural Montana, you end up seeing the impact of age on ability and on health. And it's just one more factor to think about when thinking about the health of individuals. And so that really sparked my interest and kind of propelled me into this whole world of aging. I've been studying and interested in this over a decade. And every day I learn something new and I know I'll learn so much from you all in this chat, but that's really something that's helped me in the meantime, as my parents are aging now, I've got one parent who rides his road bike a hundred miles a week. And I've got another parent who's on her second hip transplant. I've really got a wide range of what aging in your seventies looks like. And I'm so excited to continue to walk this journey with my parents, and my friends and family as well. Thanks, Jennifer. And I have also seen that Jennifer's parents serve as models in all the photos for the Annenberg chance. So that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, we in a pinch needed people who were new. So be on the lookout for them in the photos. Like, oh, where's Waldo? My parents, Debbie and Neil, so enjoy them. They're global celebrities now. <laughs> you know, once the chance space actually opens next year, there will be many more, but they're sort of the forerunners. There's a lot of food for thought and room for conversation. You are listening to At Home On Air. We are now switching to questions by participating audience members in this recorded live episode. If you want a chance to ask your question, visit us at athomewithgrowingolder.org and register for the next live episode. I'll start with Rachel's question about the program, the horticultural therapy space. Can you talk yeah. a bit about that? Thank you so much, Rachel, for asking about that. It's something that has brought joy to all of our lives and really look forward to it. So currently, GenSpace has this incredible feature, which is a sunken garden in the middle of GenSpace that is surrounded by glass and is really beautiful. Wallace had the really great idea of bringing horticultural therapy to GenSpace and trying to figure out what that looks like and what that could be like. And I absolutely adored the idea because as many of us know, as we age, sometimes our outdoor spaces either become less accessible to us or we downsize our housing and we lose that outdoor space. Our space changes for our engagement with space changes. So really bringing accessible and welcoming green space in gen space is really very, very cool. We have engaged with wonderful designers that have created an indoor horticultural therapy room in the middle of gen space. It was going to be a, a place for a coffee lounge, but what better use of this space than horticultural therapy? It'll be equipped with kind of like a tool shed and some wonderful accessible potter's benches, a community table. And so far we've really engaged with some wonderful partners on our website. We have some great videos from Cultiva LA, just a really great nonprofit that is around Koreatown. They talk about what horticultural therapy is. They have some older adult participants, pop plants, and then they do other types of discussion and conversation about the benefits of horticultural therapy. And so I hope that those are a good teaser for what's to come. We're really looking forward to having people get their hands dirty and 
create different conversations. You know, folks who may not go to an art class might go to a horticultural therapy class. And really the benefits for both mental and physical with horticultural therapy is just unmatched. So we're really excited and we hope it brings you joy too. This is a very pristine and precisely designed space. So I can't wait to have some soil on the floor there. Claire Cooper-Marcus asks a really important question. Is there access to food and opportunities to eat together? Eating together is such a communal bonding experience. Yeah, we know breaking bread is essential, whatever that looks like in every culture, right? And so there has been a number of discussions about what that might look like, whether that happens in a daily lunch program, whether it's centered around a brown bag lecture, lunch and learn, if it is, you know, great access to special events and what we want to do, is it engaging with restaurants and other things, doing food fairs, we are very excited and pleased to be on a campus that has a food pantry for over 30 years. The Wilshire Boulevard Temple has this long-standing relationship with the community through their food pantry, the Karsh Center. And the Karsh Center has become its own center now that brings healthcare, dental, vision, and also other types of care to the community. We're really excited about what that partnership looks like and how we can best be partners together in tackling food insecurity and nutrition and health with food and conversations with food. So lots more to come. And we know that there are some small challenges currently with COVID, but we're looking forward to figuring out how we can safely break bread together. You're in a very food diverse environment. So it will be interesting how diversity through food can enrich the space and the experience. A little bit of time dedicated to the question about the name senior or senior centers. Senior seems like an easy way to identify your family target market. Rachel says, I personally like the term senior, but senior center does have negative connotation. It brings to mind a drab basement space, maybe a senior hub or senior space. It's interesting to me that just the combination senior center has a negative connotation, not so much the word senior. What's your take on this, Jen? I think that goes back to what Cine and Wallace and Dr. DeLima saw when they went around to senior centers that felt like leftover spaces or felt like spaces that, you know, felt drab, felt brown and shades of beige. (laughs) And that's very different than our blue glass and our beautiful warm walls with kind of a welcoming feel or what we hope is a welcoming feel. So I agree. And I'm wondering whether it's something that we kind of fight to overcome and that conversation about reclaiming. And do we say we are a senior center and look at us as a senior center? I mean, we have used those words of we are a space dedicated to older adults. And we use the word space. We haven't used senior space, but you know, that's in our title and in our description and in our mission. And 
is that it? And do we shy away from senior center? The other thing is where the older adults are in the conversation too. What do they call it and where do they want it? And I think in the focus groups, nobody nobody balked at a senior center. Everyone was just excited about what programming was going to go there and what was happening there, but no one mentioned that. And, and maybe we weren't asking that question too. And then really that idea of what happens at a senior center and what age groups are there and is there a ton of intergenerational programming? So then that feels off or are we talking about age on a continuum? And so somehow marking senior feels odd. Just the idea that we are that new community space and kind of where that goes or in different cultures, what happens or what folks are calling things too. Diane says is space dedicated to older adults is more open and inviting than maybe a senior center. I think dedicating space to a group of people also has this, for me, this feeling of respect in it and also sort of giving priority. And I have seen this in some other projects I've worked on that older adults or seniors in the space loved having others around, but they wanted to have priority. They wanted to call the shots. And I think this is a really important component. Like that's their home and everybody else is a guest, right? And they're pleased to have them there and they want them in the living room. But at the end of the day, that's their space for sure. Yes. And that was how it was intended. So that's the good news. (laughs) Yes, it is. So Maureen also suggests, what does everyone think about the term active aging. This is also sort of a loaded term. (laughs) Jen, what do you think about active aging? What happens when I feel like a creepy older lady, like I have felt like over the last couple of days, am I still an active ager? (laughs) You know, as somebody with long-standing ties to the disability community, I know that active is really hard for a lot of folks and why healthy aging has been used a lot, but at least everyone can have their version of what healthy is. And perhaps the same could be said about active, but the thing that I always worry about in terms of active aging and Maureen, maybe this kind of speaks to what your question is, I worry about the idea that you need to be a super senior. You need to be my dad doing a hundred miles on his bike every week to be healthy or to be worthwhile or to be important or to be all of those things. But I also will share that after those bike rides, my dad, because he's wonderfully retired, goes and takes a nap for hours, right? And he's totally checked out, you know, that's life. He's structured his whole retirement around that. And my mom's too. So what does that mean? How does active feel when we have a cognitive disability or cognitive decline too, and how engaging we can be? So I I don't know about active, but I will say that healthy aging feels a little bit more appropriate to me. But again, I think those same questions come up and what that means to everyone. So not only does cognitive and physical health change what active or healthy could mean to each individual, but the idea that if we're not healthy or active, how are we contributing to society? And that's the piece that I really worry about because I think we don't have enough understanding, celebration, acceptance, and conversation around the various ways in which we age. Not all of us can be 
active at once and active may look very different, but all are contributors to our society and our families. And how do we continue that? One of the ways that we can continue to support older adults is by creating spaces for them where they exert less energy to be in them. Things like ramps and higher toilets and other things in terms of universal space and age-friendly space. If you take out the exertion, it allows for people to be active in other ways or to use their energy differently. In a design charade we did for a senior center in Palo Alto, one of the participants said he wished for a space where he could feel strong and comfortable. I love that. I'm writing that down. That was his definition also of safety. And that has stuck with me to make people of different ages and abilities feel strong in a space. It should be our goal. I definitely know that was your goal with the program design of GenSpace and the physical space, but also that's our hope and dreams for the programming content curation and instruction too, right? How do we both have a space dedicated to older adults living and learning together? And then also how do we do that with both the content and the conversation and the instruction and the engagement that happens on an everyday basis and really how we bring that out into the world where we can do that, you know, not only just in these special dedicated spaces to aging, but how do we live in a more age-friendly community and age-friendly employment and age-friendly transportation and all these other different facets where older adults have not been considered or if they've been considered, it's not thoroughly. Yes, often it's been considered in a weakness-based way and not a strength-based. Sarah's question also talks to design and she says, I know that Ram Kolhas, for those who don't know, Ram Kolhas is the head or the founder of OMA, the architecture firm who designed the building the Chen Space is in. They're sort of one of the star architects in the world. Sarah says, I know that Kolhas is an older-ish adult himself. I think he's in his 70s. His work is hypermodern. Do you know if he allowed his age and aging influence the design? My time at GenSpace sort of happened after the conversations with OMA and with others. So I feel like one of the things that was really important for his vision for the building was the relationship with the temple. There's a beautiful temple and, and then this new building and it is you know, leaning away from the temple out of respect, but it's also leaning into community, knowing that this building was created for community events and a community space was really great. And I think the inclusion of Susie and having a dedicated space to older adults on the third floor definitely helped conversations about how people navigate the building safely, not just safely, but now we know what is strong and confidently. Maybe Susie, you have more insight on that, but I just know that the design is beautiful and striking. It was very fun for me, I have to say, to present my design concepts of what age-friendly design means to OMA in one of our first sessions. What's interesting to me is that I think star architects often only think about safety and don't think what their buildings already offer to older adults and how to enhance that. In the case of the Audrey Irma's Pavilion, that's the name of the building overall, you have great connections between the levels of the building. 
For instance, from the roof garden, you actually can see down to a sunken garden. And then from the sunken garden, you can see a huge terrace on the second floor. So these visual connections, I think, are really important in terms of age-friendly design. Also, the fact that from the roof garden, you have a beautiful view of your neighborhood, sort of reconnecting the larger world with the building, making designers aware that this is actually part of age-friendly and changing their view on that is really important in incentivizing them to also bring in the other components, which of course, safety is the bottom line in all cases. Many years ago, Rem Kohlhaus designed a private home for somebody with mobility limitations and in a grand gesture, one of the floors became an elevator. So it's like the floor moved inside the building. And I feel like that a similar grand gesture he did inadvertently <laughs> with the new building. And we, we just took it over, basically. You were able to build upon that, definitely, and really think about ways that our floor could continue to be a place where folks could feel strong and confident and safe, and ways that they could also strengthen physically, but also in connection. I would like to read a statement by Diane, who says, the emerging demographics of an aging population and the various ways they will see themselves and be marketed to by various companies who will be part of the discussion over the next five years and maybe even longer. But how we see ourselves is really an important part of how others see us. What are your thoughts around this? Coming off of the master plan and thinking about demographics and knowing that the current older adult population is the most diverse across age range, numbers, diversity, culture, immigration status, faith across language capacity, language for native tongues and signing. There's just so much that is absolutely true in that statement. I also know in many states, older adults are the largest tax base. We are living, even with the pandemic, our average age is longer than ever and preparing for that and creating financial security and safety for that is really important. After a pandemic that really highlighted the ways in which we could, we should think, treat, care, support, and listen to older adults while we're still in that too, how this will change and really be a part of the discussion. To be a part of that with all of you and to continue to build a community and a national conversation that really, you know, is taking that into consideration is, is huge. How we do that is there's a variety of different ways and there's probably no one right way. So we should all kind of keep charging and see what's possible. The pandemic is still a horrible limit to what we can do and how we engage. But at the same time, it also brought up really important issues and made them more urgent from, you know, loneliness to the condition of older adults and people with various functional limitations. So there's also a chance and a door which opened up and I really appreciated the chance space in all of us in this room sort of working on really moving this forward and improving these issues and making them front and center. And I'll be so excited to listen to the many conversations you will have in this room with various 
you know, friends and colleagues and just hear about the other ways that are so important to do just that and learning from each other and not living in an echo chamber. The beautiful part about the aging realm right now is that lots of folks in it, like Susie, don't just come from one background. Your engagement is much stronger because you're not only an architect, but you have this work and you have other work that is rooted in multi- disciplines. So really that means as we continue to have these conversations, they just become more rich and more inclusive. And I think that that's so important for this changing demographic and changing narrative that really is all of those things. So I'm really looking forward to being a muted box in the other conversations and really learning from, from all of you. Well, I hope Jennifer, you won't be a muted box. (laughs) Thank you all. And thank you for this really interesting conversation. Thank you, Susie. This episode of At Home On Air was produced by the At Home With Growing Older team. We could not host these conversations without the generosity of our marvelous and passionate guests and hosts. Thank you for sharing your personal and professional insights. Thank you to our live audience for your thoughtful contributions. To subscribe to this podcast and for more information, visit us at athomewithgrowingolder.org. Thank you to our sponsors, Rhoda Goldman Plaza, the jewel of San Francisco's assisted living and memory care communities, and the Walnut Foundation, a San Francisco family foundation. We would also like to thank, for their encouragement and inspiration, Encore.org, which works to bridge the intergenerational divide, and the Op-Ed Project, whose mission is to change who writes history. At Home with Growing Older strives to educate, inspire, and connect people across generations and disciplines to re-envision and improve the experiences of later life. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in for the next episode.